Good morning, everyone. Much better roads for coming to church today, right? Last week, you knew you were going to meet Jesus one way or another, but... <laughs> Talking about small groups today. Uh, small groups is a ministry of the church. Lakeland has had a small groups ministry almost since the very beginning. Small groups, if you're not familiar with it, is a group of people, sometimes two or three. Sometimes people go crazy. There's like 16. That's, that's, that's more of a middle-sized group, but that's okay. And uh, they get together for the purpose of um, to study, you know, to study something, uh, a, book, a book they're reading together, a book of the Bible. Sometimes they come together to pray. They don't want to study. They want to pray, so they pray together. Some do some other thing together. Um, they are gathered together for purposes of having spiritual friends and relationships um, to know one another and be known and celebrate and so forth. Now, the church I grew up in had Sunday school. Small groups is so far exactly like that. Where it gets different with small groups is very often they don't meet in a church on a Sunday. They meet in someone's home through the week or a restaurant like mine, um, things like that. So, so it's a little bit different, more relaxed format. Other than just a few months here or there, I have consistently been a part of a small group uh, of the church for the last 16 years. However, I have not been the leader of a small group for about a decade. And now I'd like to tell you why I don't want to lead a small group, and I don't care if I ever lead one again. <laughs> it was through small groups that I realized I have very little influence in other people. Giving is uh, something that's very important to Ashley and I, the tithe and all those sorts of things, because we have, it has put us in a place where we see God take care of us in miraculous ways. And then when you see that, it builds your faith, and it sets us free. We feel like the more generosity we take part in, the more we are moved away from being afraid about money, afraid of not having enough, afraid God won't take care of us, won't do what the Scripture says He will do. And so uh, we love that. We love to see other people set free in that way. So our thought was, now that we're in a small group, here will be a, a group of people who will live so tight with us, they'll see our real life and see the things God actually does every week. And it'll inspire them and they'll be set free too. So we're in this small group and a couple years into it, everybody one night is really griping about money and sounding very fearful about, you know, what God won't do. And, and uh it came out in the discussion that no one in the small group was giving. And I felt an immense sense of failure at that time. I felt like I had been a bad ambassador for God. That my life, they'd seen it and decided, I don't want that. That doesn't look good. And I felt like I had represented God badly. I don't ever care if I lead a small group again because it was through small groups I realized how little I was valued by other people Ashley and I used to, we used to guard our small group night. We'd say, well, that's small group night. We can't do something on that night. And we don't watch that show. It's on small group night. We did this stuff. When we got to where we had two small children in diapers, we looked at each other and we said, we are not going to be that couple that has a couple of kids and then cocoons up on our house and emerges 20 years later and wonders why we don't have friends. <laughs> so we're going to evaluate our friends now. We're going to make this work. This is our life. They're in our life. We're going to bring this together. So we got sitters. We brought sitters with us. We took turns at small group. I'll do the Bible study. You stand in the corner and bounce the baby. I'll switch with you in 20 minutes. We made this happen. When other people got to that stage of life, did they place the same value on us? 
Not so much. One night our small group was canceled because someone had clothes drying. That was a painful moment. I don't care if I ever lead a small group again because I realized I was being lied to the whole time and blamed for other people's shortcomings. We once had a small group and realized after a year that one of the small group members had had a secret life. They'd been lying for an entire year about where they were and what they were doing in the evening. But we stuck by them. We prayed with them. Uh, they had lost a job. Some people in the small group pulled strings so they could get a new job. Year, another year goes by, we find out they're still lying the whole time. Still had a secret life. Lost the other job. Now made other people in the small group who pulled some strings for them look like a fool. But we stuck with them because that's what Christians do. We forgive, right? And So uh, one night I was riding home with this person from the gas station. And they said that they had noticed how distant I had become since all the lies were revealed. And I said, well, it's difficult to be lied to every day for 720 consecutive days. And they chewed me out all the way from the gas station to my house for what a lousy friend I was and what a lousy Christian I was. Because I couldn't be lied to for two straight years and just suck it up and go on like normal. And I thought, that's, that's it. That's our theme today. That's it. That was my that's it. <laughs> I don't ever want to lead small groups again because people are messy and I don't need their hassle. Uh, but this attitude of mine has gotten me thinking about the church. And it, it's gotten me thinking about this church, Lakeland Community Church, in, in the past. And how in my early 20s, I'm sure there were some exceptions, but I didn't meet them. Uh, it seemed like churches in this town, when I was in my early 20s, didn't care if anyone came or not. They were little... Holy huddles. Most churches in this town just had four or five large families going to them, and they were fine with that. You're welcome to come, but no one is going to pay any attention to you. They were happy with that. There was no interest in sharing the good news, not with me, certainly not with my friends. And when we started Lakeland Community Church, and, and Ashley and I sat at that lunch with Dan and Lori Wilburn, and they, I got the strong sense this was going to be a different church. We were going to reach out. We were not going to be a holy huddle. <coughs> and I'm starting to wonder about those other churches. Maybe if I wasn't too hard on them. I wonder, did they really lose the gospel or not care about reaching people? Or did they just get old and picky like me? Did they just get tired? Because now I'm old and picky. Maybe they just are tired of people's mess and don't need their hassle anymore. That's what was happening. And I've realized in this last year, with my attitude, I've become the very thing that launched my ministry. I've become the very thing I used to gripe about. I've become the very thing I used to cry out to God and say, how could people be like that? And there I am in the mirror. And if I don't personally repent, we could become just another one of those holy huddles. We could get it down to five families. It would take some time, probably less than I think. 
But as I said, I don't have the influence over people that I wish I had. So most of you have not caught on to my attitude yet. Uh, 88% of you still say you invited someone to church in 2012. And over half of you here say you're here because you invited someone. So no one's following my example yet again. And, uh, you know, there's still all this inviting and welcoming going on. But I could, I could turn my personal attitude around right about now. Because the entire gospel of Jesus Christ is about showing up for people and loving people even though they are messy. Jesus' entire ministry is about showing up even though they don't follow your example, even though they don't value your friendship, even though they blame you for their shortcomings. Jesus in the uh, Gospel of Luke chapter 5 said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. While they're nailing him to the cross in chapter 23, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I, we, I'll just say I have to make room for the next new person that walks through those doors. And I might get hurt by them again. Did you see? Were you here at the very top of the service? This happened. In, she did it in first service too. Jane, she's doing the announcements. And all of a sudden she says, I just want everyone to know I'm struggling with vulnerability. And then she left. I did not know she was going to do that. And it didn't, in first service, look like she knew she was going to do it. And, and am I not confessing problems with vulnerability? in this message. And, and Tim Suttle, when he came a few months ago as guest preacher, made this whole sermon about vulnerability. Are we going to say the Holy Spirit is not trying to tell us something about vulnerability in every little possible voice and venue? I have to take that risk of getting hurt if I want to be part of the great miracles God is doing. I have to wade in. All the possibility of hurt is out there, but all the glory of changed lives and miracles that God is doing is out there too. And if I don't take those risks, I may not be hurt. It's true. My life will just be one managed stream of mediocrity. Purposeless. I'm not up for that. And if I don't take those risks, I'll have no part with Jesus Christ. I'll have no part with him who rejected much, or who, who risked, who risked much rejection and much heartache, but through that gained the praise of generations. I must lead a small group again. And you, some of you have the gifts of a shepherd and, and the talents of a small group leader. You could lead people into a, a closer relationship with Christ. And, and if you are not, it is a waste of what God has given you. Now, one thing's for sure. I'm going to have to be smarter this time. I have learned some things in the intervening 16 years. We're all going to have to change maybe some things that we used to think about small groups if we're going to lead one again. The first thing I'm going to change is I'm going to center it, around, center it around things that I like and things that I enjoy and things that have helped me grow closer to God because then I could actually be useful in leading someone. 
Starting out my small group saying, what do you want to do? is like doing the talent show, except you're going to pick my talent. That's ridiculous. And when I say, here's what I like and what helps me grow closer to God, who's it going to attract? Other people who say, me too. And we'll all go on the journey together. Second thing I'm going to do differently is I'm not going to do it alone. I can do the most awful, disgusting job if I have a friend to do it with, because then we can laugh through it together, right? Things I like, I can't do by myself very long. So fairly early in this process, I want to find someone to lead this group with me. That's going to be a change. Third change this time around, I'm not committing to do this group forever, and I'm not imagining that we're all going to slit our hands and be blood brothers and sisters at the end of it. We'll do it for a few seasons, and we'll see what we think. But this time, on the first day of the group, everyone's going to know the last day. No tearful farewells at the end. We knew this day was coming. And finally, big change this time around. I will now be open to the idea of kicking people out of the group who cannot cut the mustard. I didn't think you could do that in 2000. In the year 2000, I had not studied 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul says that if a man is engaged in immorality and after repeated warnings he won't stop, you remove him, not just from a small group, from the church. In 2000, I had not studied Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus says, tell him privately to straighten up. If he doesn't, take two from the church with you and talk it over. If he still doesn't, take him before the elders of the church. And then after that, if he still will not change, his time with the church is done. And I'm just talking about a small group. I can do that. In the year 2000, I hadn't been reading the rule of St. Benedict for a year. A bunch of monks in the Middle Ages, you know, they just want to get together and pray and serve God, but they have the same rule. If after repeated loving warnings, you can't get with the groove of the community, you've got, you're out of the monastery. In 2000, I hadn't been hanging out with inner city ministers the way I have been. And, and I've learned that even those who work with inner city children have that standard. If, if after repeated warnings, you can't, Get with the program of the community. You can't be part of it. I am tired of seeing small groups in the church fall apart because one guy can't stop sinning. One gal can't stop dominating the conversation. I'm not saying don't love people who can't stop messing up, but I'm saying one person's not worth the whole community. Now, I can look out in the room right now and see many of you who have led many people to the Lord and been disciplers, and you are out of the game now, and I can name the person who ground you to dust. Now, look what happened. You're not leading. Your small group's nowhere to be found. And that person you sacrificed everything for, they're not even following the Lord anymore, are they? So my next small group, if you can't stop lying, you're out until you can get it sorted because there's six other people pursuing Jesus and after repeated warnings, you clearly are not. Then that'll be a difference. Now, with those four changes, I can imagine myself entering back into ministry as a small group leader and meeting the mess and meeting the miracles that happen again. And a few other changes of heart. I said earlier, people weren't following my example as giving... That's not why you do that. If you're giving, if you're praying, if you're serving the poor, you don't do that stuff to influence other people and so they'll want to be like you. That's not what it is. You do that stuff out of gratitude to God. The hymn I grew up with was, Though none go with me, I still will follow. 
No turning back, no turning back. People that want to influence other people don't get to. People that actually influence other people aren't trying, see? Do what you do out of gratitude to God, and that's it. And all that stuff I said about uh, other people weren't valuing me, you know, making sacrifice the way I made sacrifice for them. I'd love to hear their side of the story. They don't get to preach, see, so we don't know all the nasty things I did to them, do we? You give. And people's stage of life changes, and they got to make other decisions for themselves. And if their stage of life changes and leaves you behind, find some new friends. That's what we're doing this year. Can you believe it took me 40 years to figure this out? Find somebody whose stage of life fits then. The wrong thing to do is say, oh, so-and-so moved on, and now I'm just going to huddle up. I'm going to be alone? I don't think so. Because here's somebody right over here who... We're hitting it off great. Invite somebody new into your life then. Okay, those two things had nothing to do with small groups, but they're free (laughs) to you. No extra charge. So let me tell you about what we're starting this Tuesday in my new small group that I'm leading. I'm doing my small group on the writings of C.S. Lewis because every time I read a sentence from C.S. Lewis, I take a step closer to God. And if you think that might be you, then as long as we're not full up, you can join the group. Now, what about all those people who aren't nerds? They don't want to be in my group. It's really nerdy. They should be in your group where cool things happen. They should be growing with you. So we have folks uh, starting a small group uh, this season on cooking Food and faith, because for these two gals, when they gather together and prepare something with love and share it in fellowship, it brings them closer to God. Now, some of you would rather dive into a fire than cook over one, so don't join their small group. You maybe want to join the one about fly fishing. We have somebody thinking about starting a small group on fly fishing because it was standing in the river that they first began to hear from God. Somebody else is starting one on art. Someone else has one going on journaling. Someone else has started one on praying through the scriptures. And these will all draw the people that are like them. So I'm going to do a little pretending with you. Take out this yellow sheet. This yellow sheet, I want you to pretend you're going to start a small group. You're going to keep this. This is not a trick. You're just pretending. Now, in this first open space, I want you to write down the things that you could talk about for hours and never get tired. And you could do it for day after day and never get bored. I want you to write down the things in this open space that draw you closer to God, even though to other people it doesn't look spiritual at all. Cooking? Yes. Fly fishing? Comic books? If it has ever given you a thought about God... And you could just go on and on and on about it. I want you to write it in this open space. I'm going to be quiet for a minute while you list all those things that are just about you. I don't care if you think other people would ever like it. We don't care about them right now. What draws you close? Go ahead. All over the room on these little pieces of paper are ideas that would make a great small group. And you don't think they would because you think you're the only geek about this thing. But C.S. Lewis writes that friendships begin when two people meet over something and go, I thought I was the only one. And they pull off from the herd and over there they collect stamps or they smoke cheese 
or they quote endless sports statistics and they thought they were the only one and that's that's a friendship and people will gather I remember that first small group I was in when I was a kid this guy brought in the soundtrack to Les Miserables and he played all these opera songs he's like see the story of redemption this has drawn me closer to Christ and I'll admit everyone in the small group thought he was a weirdo but there just wasn't enough of us because uh, now in a room this size, I've met many of you and many of you have had the same spiritual experience over that exact same work. And if he ever had the opportunity to meet you, you all would have been friends. Somewhere on that list is a small group that you, you could do, but we're just pretending. Now, I said I was going to find somebody new this time uh, to, to, to lead it with me, and I've listed out some things I'd like that person to do, and you could check off things you'd like or even write in your own, but I'd like a sounding board, someone I could talk to when the group had problems, somebody who hangs out after everyone leaves. We go, okay, so-and-so can't quit talking. How are we going to tell them? Um, or the group's getting boring, so what can we do to spice it up a little bit? And it's them. It's not just me. It's us. So if you'd like a, someone to do that, you can check it. Um, someone I could bring along the train to lead their own group someday so there could be two groups and we could uh, make more room in our church community. That'd be important to me. If that's important to you, you check that off. Um, someone who could lead the group when I'm sick or when I've just had a week or when my daughter gets around to finally telling me, by the way, I have a clarinet concert tonight. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, someone I could call and you know, they could pick it up for that night. What would you want someone to help do it with you? Maybe you're like, they got to do the snacks. I can't do food. Yeah, think about that. My small group is going to have three six-week seasons this year, and then it's ending. So we're not getting married in our small group. We're going to meet six weeks this winter, starting Tuesday. Then we're going to take a little break. And then we're going to come back after spring break, meet for six weeks in the spring. Then we're going to take a break. We're going to come back in the fall, meet for six weeks, and then we're done. If we love it, we'll start again next year. So if you were leading a small group, what schedule would you have? Would you have it meet weekly? Or would you have it do every other week? Would you have it just for this spring and then be done? Would it be all year long, but take the summers off? What would you do? Just write it in. You're just dreaming. This could be the beginning. I want to tell you five things a small group leader says. We have actually have training that will help you gain skills and learn the ins and outs of leading a small group. But I, I, I say just saying these five things would make everyone three times as good a small group leader as, as you may currently be. First thing a small group leader says is, here's what we'll be doing. They, they pick the topic and the format because it's something they know something about and can help with. Here's what we'll be doing. Don't start out your group saying, well, what's everybody want to do? You're going to be saddled with Joe's idea, and then Joe's not going to lead it. In fact, you know how that goes. Joe won't show up. Then you'll be left doing Joe's thing, and Joe, you know, moved to Toledo. So do what you want to do. You're the leader. Here's the second thing a small group leader says. His, here's when and where we'll meet. Do not send out a bunch of emails trying to orchestrate six people's calendars together. That will never happen. Pick the time and place that works for you, and then everyone who can show up will show up at that time, and it will begin when you want it to begin. If you really don't care between Monday or Tuesday, which happened to me, then you can send out an email saying, would you rather have Monday or Tuesday, but we're going to go with the majority. You'll find even then that people bend 
their schedule if they value it to come at the time you picked. Here's something every group leader needs to get. You need to utter these words every week. Now it's time to start. See, everybody comes and they're chit-chatty. And they're not going to stop and fold their hands like Mrs. Crabtree's class and leave it to Beaver. They're just going to chat and keep chatting and you're going to feel like a wicked school marm when you go, okay, everybody, it's time to start. But secretly, everyone's talking because they don't want an awkward silence. But inside their head, they're saying, I wish the small group leader would say, now it's time to start. Anybody amen that? Yes. Okay, so say, now it's time to start. Small group leader then needs to say, after about 90 minutes, now it's time to stop. Amen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, it could go on and on. There's no end to the mysteries of the Lord, but there's an end to how late I can pay the sitter. So, um, so this, here's your line. This is a great discussion. Let's pick right up here next week. Now it's time to stop. Let everybody get back to work and family and all the things they need to do. Take their pills or whatever it is. All right, now it's time to stop. And the fifth thing all small group leaders say is, yes, we're still meeting. Never cancel. Somebody calls you and says, well, it sounds like everybody in the group has clothes drying tonight, except you and me. Well, you and me. Because Jesus said, for where two or three come together as my followers, I am there among them. God will do something amazing on that night with just you and the one other show up that couldn't have been done any other way. In fact, even if it's just you, you can pray for the other members of the group for that time. Never cancel. So you say those five things and and you'll greatly increase your ability to be a small group leader and then there's some other training that you can do to help you even more than that. If you want now to be a part of a small group or lead a small group, either one, we've got four ways today that you can get that going. These are four different ways. Some of you can just fill out this orange card. Please put your name on it. We got some last week that said, I like a men's group, signed anonymous. Can't help. All right, so make sure to fill the whole thing out and turn that into the ushers as you leave, and somebody will contact you and begin either as a member or a small group leader, either one. The process can start just like that. You can um, take this sheet. This tells you how to go on our online system, Lakeland Connect, and peruse the different small groups. See if there's one you like that fits your schedule, and they all have a little button that says click to join, and as long as they're not full, you can find my readings in C.S. Lewis group this way can't find it then it got full and disappeared so but uh you can do this you know for all you online online junkies if perusing through computers is not the way you want to do this you can just go to our round kiosk we have connectors out there say i'm interested in a small group and they can do the perusing for you and show you this and that and if none of that really fits you can email our small groups pastor marta gilliland marta g dot lakeland at gmail.com Let's go on the church website, look for small groups pastor or community life pastor, Marta Gilliland, and say, I'm interested in this small groups thing, and your process will start. Four ways to win. Because I also have to tell you the best things that ever happened to me happened in small group. And that means they can happen for others too. Late teens, early 20s, just dipping my toe in the waters. And I met with a group of Christian men that met in the back room of a karate school. Guys in that group ranged from 14 years old to 60. And all together there we learned about honesty and integrity and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was very shaping for me. And that's where the late Miserable guy was too. Early in marriage, 
my small, I had small group leaders. Uh, my very, one of my very first small group leaders was Chris Lee, your worship director, one of my very first small group leaders. I'm also early in marriage, uh, Greg and Kristen Moore. There's Kristen, sits right over here. And in their small groups, I learned uh, like how to understand the Bible and the structure of the Bible. Still today, if you come to me and say, teach me something about the Bible, I will pull out the materials from that first small group after all these years. Um, I, we studied a book in one of those groups called Handling Anger in a Godly Way. I'm still working on it, uh, but you should have seen me before. So, um, but very shaping. In fact, I teach that book in premarital class, but it was really for my first, or small groups and early in marriage. Midway through marriage, I was in a small group with Ken and Christina McCrary. They usually sit right in here. I think they're in Iowa this week because one of their kids is a rock climber. But uh, in that small group, I learned things. I'm still applying those lessons just this last season because those years ago, one of the things that was said to me rather bluntly, the McCrary's know no other way, um, <laughs> was uh, the holidays aren't all about you. You're groping and grumping around. Why don't you go and find something to enjoy and find some way to be enjoyable? Because it's not about you. And just this last holiday, as we traveled here, there, and everywhere, each place, I got out of the car, I said, I'm going to find something to enjoy. And you know what? I did. I did. I really enjoyed all the things that I went to this year. And I learned it in that small group. And just a couple of years ago, in my small group with Dan and Matt and Charlie and Sam, just after hearing me talk a few minutes, they recommended that it be time for Ashley and I to see a marriage counselor. And we did. And it made all the difference. All the difference. My life has been changed for the better and better and better by this chain of small groups over 16 years. And if I have any opportunity for five seconds over the next year to be something like that for someone else, I'm going to take that opportunity. In fact, this is why we started this church in the first place. To reach out for those whose lives are far from God, including our own. And draw all, including ourselves, closer. And a lot has changed around here, but that vision has not changed in 16 years. And you don't even have to just take my word for it. Um, Scott Patton has been in Lakeland for years and part of small groups for years. And uh, he agreed to come and share his story of the highs and lows and what God has done through small groups. So from a real person who hasn't made a career out of ministry, let's welcome Scott Patton. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Scott Patton, and this is my story. To tell you the truth, I'm feeling a little vulnerable myself right now. <laughs> I've been in a small group at Lakeland since soon after marrying my wife, Jackie, in 2002. My first group was with some men wanting to improve our fatherhood. We'd had some good discussions about being better fathers, and since I'd had some new stepchildren, there were some blooded family issues I needed help hashing out. <clears throat> it took a few years to get it right, but this was a good start. I saw it as an investment in my family. 
Once we finished the program, there wasn't much of a connection to keep the men together, and the group broke up. After that, Jackie and I joined some couples groups. We initially were in a group with the Settles, and must have made some kind of an impression because it wasn't long before they were asking us to take part in the classes to become leaders ourselves. We answered the call. After several seasons of leading, we struggled because we kept having couples leave our group and even the church. <clears throat> that was a difficult time and, <laughs> and we stopped being leaders and uh, joining groups as a couple. It happens. And I think we may have taken a year off from small groups after that. We had been married several years by now and I thought perhaps maybe we might benefit from our own individual group. We each joined a group on our own and have been that way for about five years. So there was this small group sign up back in I think 2008. Ken McCrary uh, was leading this group. Now I'd known Ken rather superficially over the years. We'd done some acting together during when we did dramas during the service and we'd done some gaming together but very little talking. I thought I could probably come to like him if only I gave him some time. <laughs> Besides, his parents are in my uh, greeters team and I thought I might get the scoop up on them. <laughs> well, our, our group started out with five men and we still have three of the original guys in it. At the first meeting of our group, there was a discussion about what we all wanted out of our small group. Uh, many things were brought up, uh, but what was most often mentioned was having meaningful spiritual relationships and guys that we could trust to keep us accountable with issues that we were being convicted with. This wasn't easy, and I think we all knew it. It was going to take some time to develop the trust. A few men have since moved on, and a few guys have joined us, joined the group over the years. We tried several things in our group, most often some small group study book. We also done a few Lectio Divina, had great discussions, played games at times when everybody didn't show up, and I've had more than a few bottles of wine over the years. <laughs> what developed were the relationships that we were all looking for. We've been there for each other through some tough times job loss, illness, challenges with being fathers and husbands, loss of family, and things that we only had each other to talk to about. I have to give God and Ken credit for helping me stop smoking cigarettes. I had the Holy Spirit in my head and Ken on my cell phone. <laughs> Both were harassing and supporting me, and I finally stopped cold turkey three years ago and haven't turned back. I'm eternally grateful. It was just a couple of weeks ago that we were talking about how long we'd been together and couldn't believe it was over five years. Now we have a couple of newer men in the group and we continue to grow together. I have great hopes that they will reap the same benefits that the other original guys have. We are brothers in Christ and all recognize that each of us has something to offer to each other. Our group is where real church is happening. It's what we've been looking for, and I love these guys. So my adventure in small group has go, uh, just goes to show that there are different kinds of groups and experiences. They all have a part to play. Don't give up until you ha find the one that's right for you. My name is Scott Patton. 
This is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, let us stand together and receive the benediction. The vision of the church, the core of the mission unchanged for 16 years, the core and foundation of the Christian faith, solid for thousands of years. Let us recite it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If I've not gotten to meet you before, I'd love to do that. When you go out the sanctuary, just take a hard right, and I'll be there, and I'd love to meet anyone I haven't gotten to. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace now and forever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.